think of like a real life scenario of picking something up off the ground, kind of like a deadlift, yeah. I think of it's always sunny in Philadelphia when Charlie and, <laughs> and Matt. Are back. No, no, no. Yeah, you gotta you gotta lift with your back for it. Don't use yeah. your legs at all. <laughs> <laughs> I say that all the time, especially to strangers, because it's it's like they probably don't get the reference, but it's still funny because it's obviously not everything. <laughs> yeah, everything you're not supposed to do. Yeah, and you gotta jerk, you gotta snap it. Yeah, quick jerking motion. That's how you're supposed to deadlift. Welcome to the Unrelenting Pressure Podcast with your hosts, Ryan and Hunter. Yeah, I don't know. I was helping the one kid at the gym deadlift today, and he sucks at deadlifting. And I know I was helping you deadlift. And I keep trying to teach, like, because it's it's an unnatural movement, if you really think about it. Because I was trying to explain, like, when you sit on a toilet, like, you kind of just squat down and then plop yourself down. But, like, the deadlift isn't that. It's a hip hinge. And there's yeah. not many movements that you would do in normal everyday life that you're really hip hinging because he's having trouble. Like when he goes to pick the bar up, he'll start good hip hinging, but then I'll just start like completely rounding his back over to bend down and grab the bar. And I'm like, no, it doesn't look like that. Like you got to yeah. stick your butt back. And as you reach back with your butt, that's how you like drop lower and lower. And it's just, it's an unnatural thing. So it was kind of interesting trying to, teach him today i think it's a uh like a middle trap and rhomboid weakness um because it's like Hmm. keeping your like back from rounding you really have to like pinch your shoulder blades together um and like remember you know the shoulder problem that i've had that's gotten so much one you know the physical therapist was like you know this is because your rhomboids are are weak, too weak as compared to your other muscles surrounding, right? So you're getting an imbalance there, which is causing too much pressure onto your rotator cuff and yada, yada, right? That's where you're getting the feedback type stuff. But ever since I've been doing more middle trap and uh, rhomboid specific activity, my shoulder have gotten a lot better. And I've noticed even though I don't deadlift, keeping my shoulder blades pinched back or rather just like activated like that was always the hardest thing for me with, with deadlifting. Cause it's just, I just want to roll my shoulders forward. And- yeah. Instead of like staying back, like you're benching, right. And pinching yeah. the shoulder blades back. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a weird thing. I also agree. Cause I think I had this problem too, where it wasn't necessarily my rhomboids is like my mid traps, which are yeah. mid and lower traps, which are really hard to fire. If you're not thinking about them. I have like, traps, sure. You shrug, right. But yeah. just like those middle like traps it's just I, I found a couple exercises with the with my rehab bands that like mm-hmm. can target it but it's still really hard to to fire and i agree i think that that definitely is a weakness for a lot of people because unless you're bent over going to like pick something up and rowing it you're never really using those muscles all too much yeah. i think what he was having trouble with and i think it's just a hip mobility problem that that's definitely one of them because he definitely rounds over in the upper back too. But like right. as he goes to push his butt back, his like lower back also rounds. But it's I think it's just his hamstrings are really tight, and mm-hmm. it's he just doesn't have the hip mobility to be able to keep going back. So I was telling him today like just stretch the heck out of your your hamstrings and your hips. Like you have to loosen those hips up. It's just you know from sitting in a chair for so long and not being like super active, like that yeah. adds up over time. It compounds over time. So I think that's just one thing that he needs to unfuck before he really starts to try to deadlift. Yeah. I mean, how often is an average person bending over and picking something up, right? Like off the ground completely? Like you're never doing that. And I'm- Not super often. I, every single time I try to think of like a real life scenario, of picking something up off the ground, kind of like a deadlift. Yeah. I think of it's always sunny in Philadelphia. When Charlie and, and Matt, are yeah. back. no, no, no. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta lift with your back for it. Don't use yeah. your legs at all. <laughs> <laughs> I say that all the time, especially the strangers, because it's, it's like they probably don't get the reference, but it's still funny because it's obviously not everything. <laughs> yeah, everything you're not supposed to do. Yeah, so you gotta jerk, you gotta snap it. Yeah, quick jerking motion. That's how you're supposed to deadlift. <laughs> Yeah, I'm mean, uh, still not deadlifting. I don't know. So I just did back yesterday, um, and it was a good workout. I'm like, I'm I'm struggling with the idea of cables versus dumbbell rows. I just get such a better tension 
with cable rows over dumbbell ones and like consistent throughout the whole deal. And I'm, but I'm grappling with it not being the traditional row, right? Like, so I'm talking about dumb, you know, bent over rows. And you know, I don't have a free barbell, so I can't do free barbells, which when I have done free barbell rows, bent over rows, I love that. I really do like that. And it's great for my lower back stability. And I do get a good feel in my both lats and um, middle and lower traps. But with dumbbell ones, I just don't, I don't feel it as much or as well as compared to just getting like a rope on a cable and putting it low, taking a few steps back and then just doing the same bent over row, um, you know, motion. I just feel that so much better so much. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Like, and I guess it dives into dumbbell versus, or rather free weight versus cables in general, but what's your perspective? So... My thing with back is I honestly don't really do dumbbell rows that much either. And I don't do bent over barbell rows that much either. And I think it's just because I have a little bit of a shoulder mobility problem for the bent over barbell rows that I'm always like, I don't like that a little bit lopsided when I'm doing it and I'm not working it symmetrically. A lot of what I've been doing has just been like machine rows. I've been doing machine rows for, for, for horizontal rows, right? Because I split it into vertical and horizontal. Right. So for vertical, obviously, lat pull-downs and pull-ups, yeah. uh, no problem there. But when I'm doing the, like, horizontal stuff, I usually just stick to the to the machine. And I've been having trouble doing cable rows and getting a good back pump. So I think to, the best way that I would answer your question is, however you feel best, whatever you can get the best contraction, I think that that's yeah. going to help you out the most. And second to that would be just don't throw the weight. Be very conscious of when you're doing it. Squeeze really hard. Because I've noticed a lot of people, when they'll do rows, and here, maybe try to, try to move back for the camera. <laughs> a lot of people do rows. They'll only move from, like, here to here, and then yeah. they just carry the momentum all the way through. Sure. Don't do yeah. that. Really try to, like, just squeeze the entire time and get a full contraction. Because that's, that's one thing, especially with, like, pull-ups and lat pull-downs like people are doing lat pull-downs they're only like they're like throwing their whole body and they only get to here yeah. and then the rest of it's just carrying the momentum and you're not actually yeah. squeezing that muscle nah. so that's my thing is like squeeze through that full range and then yeah whatever you think you get the best contraction i think that that's probably most important yeah i'd agree I, 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 you can get so much more momentum with dumbbells and free weights in my mind than cables like i think it just you can absolutely, and to your point, right, seated horizontal rows with the V-bar, it, you can just, you're just doing lower back, you know, hinges basically, and then flinging it the rest of the way, some of these people that I see do it. Or like they're yeah. like leaning all the way back, right, where you're at like some 130 degree angle, right, and I don't think that's right either. It depends what you're trying to hit, right? I mean, when you bend over, you're like lean forward in you know, an acute angle when you're doing the horizontal rows. That makes my lats fucking flame up. I'm like all lats doing something like that. And I take that same methodology when I'm doing machine rows too, right? Like if I'm lean forward a bit more, I get all lat. Um, I realize like the further I go back to a point, it transfers over to more traps, but still lower in middle mostly. I was going to say, it's tricky trying to talk about it over the computer because it's like, it also depends on, there's so many things that go into it, but I mean, depending on your like elbow angle, like, are you going wide? Are you going narrow? Right? Yeah. I like more narrow. Are you keeping elbows close to like, you? For like mostly everything. And it, it ends up being a bit more lat. I mean, if I'm doing something lat, I have to be narrow. Like going wide, I'm not, I'm like getting no lat activation. But uh, especially for like scapular you know, movements, right? Just trying to pinch back to, I understand the theory of being wider and helping that out more, but I still just feel it so much better if I stay within like 45 degree elbow, elbow range, which is why doing barbell is I think tough because it, you can't, right? Your hands, you know, your hands are stuck at that degree. Yeah. I think that's the tricky thing and it's good to mix it up every once in a while, but the, where the trouble comes in is that if you're doing a new position that you should be working on to get stronger, right? Because let's be honest, trying to hit your lower traps and trying to hit your rhomboids 
They're yeah. very similar movements you need to do, but you need to kind of, and they fire very similarly, but if you're trying to concentrate on one to get it stronger, like it's hard to swallow your pride and do the lighter weights and really get that muscle <laughs> fire. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I like, I've done bent over barbell, barbell rows and like have gone super light and gotten really good contraction, but with only the bar, no weight on there. Yeah. It's like, to some respect, it's kind of demoralizing. It's not fun either. Sure. Cause it's like, who wants to sit here and do bent over barbell rows with just the bar for 20 reps to really squeeze it. It's like, yeah. that's really boring compared to, I can go over to like a, Oh man, I can't even think. Of, what do you even call it? What, like a machine? <laughs> yeah, T-bar rows. Oh, T-bar rows. Oh yeah. Yeah, doing T-bar rows, I can put like five plates on there. Oh, and like, yeah, plate. load them up. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as you go over to that barbell and you got to lean over, I just can't contract the middle of my back the same. Yeah. So it's like, should yeah. I be skipping them? No, I should probably be doing them. Just doing them lighter and really getting right. that contraction. But I mean, everyone's got that struggle, right? Your ego gets in the way. At the end of the day, as long as you're having fun and getting in there and working out, it's like that's what's most important. But really, I should be focusing on that crap too. But I neglect it sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. That's why, I like the, I think, like the, the challenge of it or the game of it is to find exercises that are fun for you still, but still hit everything that it needs to be hit. Right. Like with me with the cable rows, like I'm, I'm not even doing like seated ones because my gym doesn't have the bench to sit on, so I'm standing. And it's not even necessarily horizontal because I put the, uh, you know, the, the the slide all the way down to like the lowest setting, so it's more yep. of a bent over row. Um, but uh, but I just I like it too, and like I really like I can get a fucking like up, sick upper trap pump doing that same activity if I just loosen my form. You know what I mean? Like if I just end up shrugging and keeping my shoulders high when doing it, it's like awesome upper trap exercise the same thing when i'm sitting on the horizontal one and do it if i just allow myself my hands to go higher i get like an insane upper trap pump but uh but that's cheating right that's like cheating in the exercise like i'm avoiding the muscles that i really should be hitting but it's fun sometimes yeah i mean it's interesting i agree it's just like as long as you're having fun doing it like that's probably more but like Fun, just getting into the gym and moving, I think, is yeah. the most important part. But, yeah, the more and more specific you get, like, could probably be trying to focus our weak points instead of doing what we're good at. Because, ultimately, bringing those weaker muscles up to strength will get us way stronger overall. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that touches on, uh, you know, you, do you know the Gallup, the Gallup theory? Um, Gallup theory, Gallup, like, philosophy. It's like a, a work thing, so... It's, it's a book that you should probably read, um, business book. It's called Gallup Strengths Finder. Um, and I forget who writes it, but so my company's like entire culture is founded on this, right? And instead of doing what most people do with what you just described now, which is, you know, focusing on your weaknesses so that it brings them up to the same par as your strengths and you're a more well-rounded individual, they're like, fuck that. Focus on your strengths. Your weaknesses are always going to be your weaknesses. Just focus on leveraging your strengths for the best that they can be leveraged. Which I think is an interesting philosophy. It's kind of very counter to, I think, what is the traditional model of work on your weaknesses and, you know, uh, lean on your strengths, right? Yeah. I don't know. I've gone back and forth on this one because I was actually just thinking about this today. And I feel like it's very similar to like the 80-20 principle and Pareto's law. But, I mean, I was even just thinking about, like, like leveraging whatever you're good at because that's going to get you your greatest returns, right? right. I don't know if it applies specifically to the gym. I think the gym is different because – I think it's different. That if you're going to be – you're only going to be as strong as your weakest link. And if you're going to deadlift 800 pounds but your grip can only hold 500, well, you're never going to deadlift 800 until you yeah. work on your grip. You know what I mean? But I think it's very important. And I was thinking about it from like a career standpoint where it's just like, if you're a really good communicator verbally, like you're wasting your time trying to be a good like writer. You know what I mean? And just yeah. like you could work as hard as you want to be a good writer. And yeah, you could get good at it. But just like, wouldn't you rather double down on being a good verbal communicator? Because that's going to get you way further if you're naturally talented at it. Sure. Yeah. You know I mean? So I feel like it's hard kind of, 
finding what your strengths are though. And I think one example I was saying is, is that you need someone, if you can't find them for yourselves and figure out what you're good at, you should have someone else go like, Hey, you're really good at this. You should really just keep following through with that. And yeah. then that can give you some guidance on like whatever, whatever your strength is. Yeah. One of the importance of a mentor, right? Having that outside perspective. It's great to be introspective, but having the outside perspective to bounce that off of is, uh, is important, right? It's impossible to see yourself from an outside view completely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree with that. You don't necessarily need a mentor though. You could just have someone like a friend just come through and go like, Hey, you keep trying to do this. Why don't you do this instead? See what happens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do mentor like activities, but in a casual yeah. way. Right. But, yeah. That's true. Oh, so I've been obsessing over buying a ship and pack company lately. Oh yeah. Or packing ship company lately. How's that been going? It's been consuming. It's like a, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, it's like the classic, instead of working, you're looking at realtor.com or Zillow and looking at houses. It's like the same thing, but with like buy, biz, sell and just running numbers yep. on them. Like, oh, if I got it for this, if I financed it this way, I can do these things looking at YouTube videos. It's fun. I still really like the idea, uh, but I realize it might not be super healthy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I said fuck that though. Cause it's like, dude, whatever. I mean, I, I feel like we've talked about this, like with the book thing, right? Like I kind of just go wherever my interest is right now. The hard part is being consistent is going to get you better results the longer you can stick with it. Right. Yeah. But in some respect, it's just like, if it's on the same theme, I feel like it's good to keep exploring that. And like my example is like a, a lot of this social media stuff I've been trying to do. Right. Like I started out like hyper-focused in YouTube and then kind of shifted to Instagram and then shifted to TikTok yeah. and then shifted to like online writing, shifted to like web articles. And now I'm coming full circle. And I sent you those videos that I was making that other day. Yeah. And like all of those lessons that I, like, I spent a lot of time like learning that video stuff and it was super hard and really frustrating at the beginning. I went and just threw something together in like 30 minutes and it came out like pretty good. And I'm like, wow, all those skills weren't wasted. Like I actually did learn a lot. Yeah. And like I did grow a lot from it. So it's just like, it's still in the same like theme of what I'm trying to do, but I kept shifting my focus a little bit, but it's still kind of all in that same arena. And I feel like it like came through and it like, not that I used it for anything in particular, but like, it was interesting to see, like, I kind of thought it was a waste of time, but maybe it wasn't a waste of time because I actually learned a lot from it. Yeah. If that makes sense. And no, like, it's going to come back to serve you one day. Right. And I, th I think there's just a, there's a threshold you cross when it becomes unproductive. Right. So like if you're always bouncing between things and in a prolonged manner, right? Like talking years, then you're, and you never find the, the summation of that effort, right? Like, you know, you're touching through a bunch of different socials and then you land on our right, YouTube and then you power through on YouTube. That's good. Right. And that maybe that's over several years that you, you do that. But if you're always bouncing around type of deal, and it's probably a little bit, it, it has to be a little bit more general than social, right? Cause that's, they're close enough to your point, right? Like they're all similar field, but if you're bouncing around between social and buying a company and climbing the corporate ladder and going back to school, like if you're bouncing between all of those ideas and you're not making, if you're not taking action on any of those, well, then that's like debilitating, right? You're, then you're just, it's, well, Alex Ramosi says it, right? Uh, uh, mental masturbation, right? Where you're just convincing yeah. yourself that you're making progress, but you're not actually. Yes. I, I do agree with that. I don't know. It's tricky because it's just like, you only ever know if something was a waste of time in hindsight. If you'd excuse me for one. He, he acts really into it. Could you stop, please? Thank you. I'm doing a podcast. With my friends. Can you lay down? Thanks, buddy. Anyway, Damn. sorry. Um, I lost my train of thought. Talking about Alex Ramosi, mental masturbation. Oh, yeah, because I've, I've been thinking about this a lot, right? And it's just like, when you're going through trying to do something new, 
you don't know if you are going to get the outcome that you're kind of thinking of, right? So it's hard going through that only because you don't know if it's going to be worth your time, right? So if you went through this entire process and it took five years and you got out in the end and you had nothing to show for it, you'd be like, wow, that was a giant waste of time for five years, right? But what if you took those skills that you learned in that five years and it, it completely turned into something else and then it ends up doing awesome? Then in another 10 years, you might be like, wow, that was the best thing that ever could have happened to me, right? But the hardest part is, is that as you're going through it and you don't know where you're going, I don't want to say that too much, but like you have an idea of where you're going, but you're not really sure of the steps of how to get there. The only thing that you can do is trial and error as you're moving along. And I think the most frustrating part and why so many people always ask like entrepreneurship questions, it's like, you just want to know if there was a better way to do what you're doing. But a lot of times there isn't a better way to do what you're doing. But I feel like that's where learning comes into play. And Alex Ramosi talks about it, right? Where it's just like, if you could pay, like you could either learn those lessons over 10 years or you can pay someone to teach you those lessons and you can learn in a year. Mm. Right. And I think that's the only like downside to it is, is just like efficient use of time. If that makes sense. Yeah. I'm, I feel like I'm kind of in this similar situation where it's just like, I'm doing all this shit and I don't know if it's going to work. I have no clue if it's going to work. I just like, I'm kind of pulled towards it. And it, I feel like it's something that I should be doing and I need to be doing, but I also have no clue if it's going to end up working, but you're never going to know if it ends up working until you just follow through the entire thing. Right. But as I'm going through this, it's just like, all right, well, what's my time horizon? Five years. Right. It's just like, well, what if I do this for five years and nothing ends up happening from it? It's like, well, that was a giant waste of time. Now, what if I reached out to someone and paid them $10,000 and they showed me exactly how to do everything? And maybe instead of five years, when I accomplish everything that I'm hoping, I say accomplish slightly, but whatever that even means, I don't even know. Right? But what if instead of five years, it takes two years? it's going to pan out at yeah. all could not That's the faith right the the faith yeah. of entrepreneurship right you got to kind of just believe that it will yeah but i mean that kind of goes back to the mental masturbation a little bit because it's just like i obsess over a lot of these things and i put a lot of time and energy into them but i don't know if they're going to work out at all like i spend a lot of time thinking about these thoughts and yeah. i might never not ever get a return on this investment now, well, is it necessarily a bad thing that I'm still like really thinking through some of these ideas? Like you could go either way on that. You know what I mean? If nothing works from this, you'd be like, yeah, that was a fucking waste of time. But I feel like you can only tell in the future looking back. You can't tell in the moment. And that's the hard part because it's the ambiguity of you don't know if it's going to work. Yeah. I don't know if that's like mental, ma mental masturbation though, because you're doing action still, right? You're taking action. And so that's not mental masturbation, masturbation. That's, you know, putting in effort. And if it doesn't work out, then it was, uh, um, a less ROI on your investment than, than preferred. Right. But you didn't think about doing this and then never did it. And then you don't know, right. That's like, that's mental masturbation. You, you, you endlessly search or research and educate, and then you don't take action. Right. That's how I classify that. Yeah. I mean, that's a hard one. That's, that's a hard one. I mean, listen, man, looking at houses is fun. <laughs> it's fun. Right. It's fun. You know, but I, I also, there was a really good book. I think it was Tom Tracy's uh, book on the art of selling. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it's called. And he, he was talking about like when you're a salesman and I think this is true for a lot of things. Like, and, and we talked about this before, where are just like, you need to desire things and that desire for more or for better is what drives you forward and puts you into action. But when you're always desiring things that you don't have, it kind of makes you upset and depressed. So how you counteract it is you go to being grateful for all the things that you have. But if you're always grateful, then you can become content and then you don't take action because you're happy with everything that you have. And it's that paradox of fulfillment, right? But I feel like desiring things that you don't have is a very strong driver for putting you into action. So it's like if you could leverage that and may, make it put you into action, then I guess to your point, right, it's not mental masturbation. And sometimes short term, like in the moment, 
you're looking at these things over and over and becoming kind of obsessed with it, just like maybe one day that will put you into action. You mm. know what I mean? But you're not going to be able to say that until it does eventually put you in action. Because maybe tomorrow looking at that page is the next day that you need to go, fuck it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to buy this shipping company. You know what I mean? But you don't know today because today you didn't take action. But tomorrow you might take action. Mm. It's very hard. It's like a very like nuanced gray area. And it's really interesting to talk about because it's like there's no right answer. That's the hard one. There, there is no right answer. Really. Because, I mean, we could even spin this back into fitness, too, where it's just like I go to the gym seven days a week and work out for two and a half hours because I'm trying to stay healthy. I'm trying to stay fit. And I could get, knock on wood, you know, I could get cancer tomorrow or get hit by a bus tomorrow. Right. And just like what was working out seven days a week for two hours a day, like to me, keep me healthy. And then did it really matter? Yeah. And just like, I guess in the grand scheme of things, it didn't, but like it mattered to me. Yeah. Uh, there's always the, the worst case scenarios other than that too, right? Like you could have got hit by a bus earlier or you could have had a heart attack, right? Or killed yourself because he didn't look how you liked and you didn't have good self-image, right? And all that kind of stuff, right? But but I get your your analogy. So, hold on a second. I'm going to go off on a little side tangent because I was listening to the Tim Ferriss podcast yesterday and sure. he had Morgan Housel on who wrote The Psychology of Money. Oh, okay. And in the podcast, he opens up to a story he was telling where when he was 16 years old, I think he lived out in Lake Utah or Lake Tahoe. Okay. And uh, he was like 16 or 17. I guess he was 17 because he, he could drive. And him and two of his buddies went up to the top of a mountain and they would go into the out of bounds area, go under the fence and then ski down and all the fresh powder where you're not allowed yeah. to go. And then they would go down to the road and then hitchhike out. So yeah. he's telling the story of this one time. They did it all the time. He's like this one day. He's just like. We go, we cut through the ropes and we start skiing down. And next thing you know, like there was snow underneath of our feet as we're going down. And there's like a tiny mini avalanche that came up to our knees. Oh. And he was just like, oh crap, like that's crazy. I can't even believe that just happened. So they go all the way down and then they're going to hitchhike out. And when they get back to their car, his two buddies were like, hey, we're going to go do another run. Do you want to come? And he was just like, nah, I don't, I don't really feel like going. I'm just going to go back home. And he was like, any other day I would have went with them. But he's just like, I have no clue why. Today, just decided I don't want to go. I'm just going to go back home. So he ended up going back home. And then turns out he got like, he found out the next day that his two buddies went back up, went down, got caught in an avalanche, and they were trapped six feet under snow and they died. Oh and my he was God. just like, I have no clue, like, what possessed me to not go up that other, like, for that other run. He's oh, like, every God. other time I said yes, but this time I said no. And it's just, it just like, it's crazy to that point that it's just like that one tiny action that you didn't even put any thought into could be the fact, could be the one thing that like changes your life forever. And you have no clue. Yeah. I hate that. I, I, crazy. Hate, I hate how pivotal an individual moment can be. I hate it and love it. Right. Cause like, you know, it can go either way, but it's just, it's, it's a high stress moment. Right. And what's scary about it too, is like, it's not just the stuff that you don't think about, right? Like this guy, like what possessed them to not go up that one run, right? And that's crazy, right? But then there's all the, also other opportunities where you put a shit ton of thought in it and it's still just as pivotal, right? Yeah. Like, oh, spend hours researching X, Y, Z, right? Or a business that you're looking to buy hours and days and money and stuff. And then it's all hinged on the decision of whether or not you do it or not. And then that's still just as, potentially pivotal to your life. So the compounding effect of decisions is uh, overwhelming at times, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I put some thought into this too where it's just like there's so many things that you don't, you're not even aware of in the moment that could be pivotal for the rest, pivotal moments for the rest of your life. But you only ever know when you're in the future looking back that like that thing meant a huge thing and it could just as easily could have went the other way. Yeah. I think you don't a, know that in the, I, I don't know that in the moment. moment. I think you know it in the you moment. Think so? a lot of times. Yeah. I mean, the one I think about school, right. So even starting like middle school, right. When we're like 12 years old or so, and maybe you didn't have the same, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say like foresight, but the same like realization that, all right, 
freshman year of high school, I got to get a good grades. I got to get great grades freshman year of high school so that my GPA isn't low going into sophomore year. I want to have to make it up and then I got to make it good in sophomore year, junior, blah, blah, blah. Gotta, I have to be as close to perfect as I can in high school so that I can get into the best college. And then once I'm in that college, I have to be as good as I can to stand out within college so that I can get the best job or a good job out of that so that that job sets up the rest of my life so that I'm not a bum in the rest of my life. Because if I don't do that, then I won't have a good family and so on and so forth. So like it all trickles down to me getting a good grade freshman year of high school. If I fuck that up, it does materially impact the rest of my life. Maybe not in as big of a way as it feels in the moment, but there is the realization of the trickle down effect of small decisions happening early in time and how that really just domino affects the rest of your life. And I think that's what they call anxiety, <laughs> right? <laughs> I think that is what they call anxiety. Oh, Hunter, our paths are much different. I'm going to say that just about all of middle and high school was me trying to figure out how I don't need to do my homework <laughs> right. and still get a grade to pass. Yeah. And that's about the extent of it. And then as it progressed in high school, it was, all right, where can I go and get drunk the entire weekend? Yeah. And that was about it. <laughs> Not yeah. too much thought put into great many things. I had now, those thoughts looking, too, but man, it was, uh, it was a lot of, all right, and then I got to do, all right, which extracurriculars do I have to do to pad the the portfolio or, you know, the application for college and all that kind of stuff too. But sorry, you can talk. Go ahead. No, I mean, to your point, it's just like, I think about why I was such a lazy piece of shit in high school. And it's just like, if I, I mean, I, I don't even care about being a lazy piece of shit in high school. The one regret that I have is just not reading. I wish I read more. Sure. Yeah. Looking back over everything that's happened, and whatever. I, I know a lot of people talk about this, right? It's just like, can I accept everything that I've ever done in my life? Like, kind of no, because that's what's led me to be where I am right now. But sure. it's just like the one thing that I do regret doing is reading. I really just wish, wish that I had read more when I was younger. Because yeah. I've read, whatever, like the 20 or 30 books in the past two years, and they've been like life-changing. And I've just grown so much from them. And I'm like, well, I started that when I was 30. Imagine if I started when I was 20. Imagine yeah. if I started when I was 16. And it's just like, I could have so much knowledge in this head. And... You know, I think uh, I, Alex Hermosi is a really good like case study just because he did that. He was 20 years old, graduated from Vanderbilt a year early, and he was just a tenacious reader and a tenacious learner. Learner, but can't talk today. Moved out to California, started gym, and like he was through his 20s doing that. And it's just like almost for all of my 20s, I was just looking for the next place to get drunk and <laughs> party. Really, yeah. I wasn't thinking about any of that. It wasn't until I turned like 28 or 29. I think you froze on me, buddy. Oh, you're good. Yeah. Uh, you know, it wasn't until I was way, way older until I started figuring my shit out. Now, the flip side to it is, is that I could at least say that somewhere in my life, in my late 20s, I at least had something happen that made me turn things around and try to do better. Right. I don't know what it was. Honestly, I don't really know what it was. Actually, you know what? I think I can kind of put a finger on it. I was failing out of college at Brookdale Community College. I had Fs in all of my classes, and I failed an entire semester. And wow, they were really? like, if you retake these classes, you can get the average of the two grades. And I'm like, all right, well, I don't want Fs in my fucking transcript. So I was just like, I need to retake all those shitty classes that I was taking. So I, I was right there. My parents were paying for my college. And I went, this isn't fair to them that they're paying me to fail out of school. I was like, because they're paying for these classes. And I was like, fuck that. And I was like, if I'm going to fail out of school, I was like, I'm going to pay for it. And then when you start actually paying for things and you know what the value of your money and time is, you don't fail out of things because yeah. you go, holy shit, I'm not spending $5,000 to fail all these classes. Like, why would I even bother taking them? I could put those yeah. in my pocket. So that's when it turned around real quick because I started paying for things and I started taking responsibility for a lot of things. And then that changed my trajectory. Now, what instilled me to say... I'm going to pay for all these classes and it's not fair to my parents. I don't know. I could have easily just kept going and failing out of classes until I got kicked out, but I don't know why I didn't do that. Morals, I guess. Right. I don't know. Morality. I think it was, uh, 
you know, we all have those mental struggles. But I think for me, I remember sitting in the mirror going, well, if I think that I'm better than everyone, but I'm failing out of Brookdale Community College, like maybe I'm not. Maybe and I'm that's like, hmm. That's a big self Interesting. Yeah. Like, interesting. Okay. Maybe I'm not good. Maybe I need to go back to square one and then start building from the ground up and actually be able to pass a class. Mm. intro to history or something stupid before I can, you know, you start getting ahead of myself. Makes you think of like I mean, things that they're the hero in their own story. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. And then you have a realization like that. You're like, fuck, maybe I'm just a side character. Right. That's, that's funny. Don't even get me started on that. One of my biggest fears, which you could still never tell if it's true. I don't know if I told you this, but one of my biggest fears is like, you're going through your entire life like you are right now, interacting with everyone and you're charismatic. So, you know, you have really engaging conversations with people and to some respect, like when you walk into places, like not that you feel like you're the life of the party, but you feel like you contribute to whatever group you're in. Sure. Now, my biggest fear is, is that like, what if I had like, um, man, what's the right word to say this? Huh? Hold on a second. Let me let me chew on this. <laughs> what if I had special needs? And I'm going through my entire life navigating this, thinking that I'm normal, but I'm not. And that freaks me the fuck out. That yeah. really gets like under my skin and freaks me out because you'd have no clue that you're navigating this world, but people are just like kind of treating you differently, but you don't realize it because you think that you're you. That really freaks me out. And that really drives me nuts. I've had the same as I thought. Same exact thought before it, it, for many years too, and it's still there, right? It's always still there. Yeah. You don't you don't know what you don't know, right? Mm. So like, if you can't know if your reality is not the reality, right? You just can't know. There's no way of knowing. It's the same <laughs> thing as that like point? simulation theory, right? Like we can't yeah. know if we're in a simulation or not, right? I can't know that this isn't all a dream for sure, right? That we're not in some coma and, and this is going on, right? It, that's just like the question your entire reality. And then you're like, no, I got to work in the morning. Let me try and forget about this so that I can progress my life. <laughs> well, I feel like it also goes down the, the rabbit hole of like, you exist in the world that you perceive. And you can perceive the world however you want. Yeah. Right? Now, there's some inherent designs in the human body and the human brain that kind of make you see things, like, differently. But, I mean, you know, the entire front – I was listening to a podcast not that long ago. I don't remember what it was. But it's just, like, your brain is basically locked in a vault of fluid inside of your skull. And it's just, like, the only way it inter- interacts with the outside world – is through these sensory inputs that input it electrical signals. And it's just like, that's how your brain is navigating this world. And it's really interesting when you're really thinking about that. Cause it's like, Oh yeah, it's in a dark locked room and it can't actually see anything. We just have these sensory inputs that are electrical signals. And that's how it navigates this world, which is really yeah. interesting to think about, but it's just like, you can kind of perceive the world however you want to. We just tend to tend to perceive it from a survival standpoint and that's how much of our existence really is is like especially like attention and what do i mean by attention what i mean by attention is like a lot of our visual cues and hearing cues are based off of is there danger imminent right so if you see things moving around really quick if you hear a rustle in a bush if you hear a really loud sound it's all just signals to you that hey something's up you should be like very focused on it But the problem is, is that in our modern day, like we're not threatened by anything. So we still get triggered by those same cues, even though there might not actually be a threat. And like it puts us in the flight or flight mode and then makes it really hard for us to focus on something that we actually need to do. Right. Because if you're trying to type a paper and have a lot of thought and focus going into it, but you always hear like leaves rustling in the background, like that could trigger you to unfocus because you're worried about something being in the leaves. Super interesting. But it's just like, that's how we kind of navigate the world is off of that ancient biological like programming. And, you know, I was even just listened to a podcast the other day where it's just like in today's day and age, like we still have this ancient programming, but we've developed so quickly over the past hundred years that like those same 
um, programming just don't help us today. And that's why a lot of people are struggling, which I agree with a lot. I'm trying to think about if I, agree. I know they I said a lot help us anymore. Well, like the brain locked in a dark room is a good, uh, I don't know if analogy is the right word or not, but like a good framing of it. But my thought was who's to know that those sensories haven't been corrupted, right? Like if, if your entire reality is just your brain interpreting senses and then like chemicals and all that kind of stuff, who's to know whether or not that's been messed with in some type of way, right? Or are not even messed with, just incorrect, right? It's just terrifying. I just, I just, it's so debilitatingly terrifying of not knowing what is real for sure, right? You just don't know. I can totally see how people will go schizophrenic, right? Because it's just like, how could you ever know? You don't really know. All you have is belief that it is. And then enough other people collectively agreeing on it as well, right? It's just fucking crazy. Just <laughs> wild to me. How did we go down this super philosophical type black hole? It was probably me. It's my fault. <laughs> I take responsibility. <laughs> well, you go back to that package as well. So, like, the I've been watching, there's a lot of really good videos on it, actually, too. Um, but uh, I like the business model of it. So I actually reached out to, I found two of them for sale. There's one, there's been one that's written for sale in Monmouth County for a, like at least a year. I've seen it on there. So I just reached out to them yesterday. I haven't heard back yet, but um, they do, they're asking 165K for it. Um, they do 200,000 in revenue and they cash flow supposedly $65,000. So like, if it's um, managed by somebody else, right? Like if they have an employee in place who's running it and the 65K is just a distribution for like owner's discretionary income type of deal, that sounds good to me, right? Like get a loan. Just an extra 65K in your pocket that you exactly. could reinvest, even if you reinvest half. Yeah, well, my thought would be like, an extra 30 something K. You do seller financing, right? Do seller financing over five years. And let's just call it 150K. All right. So seven, so the over five years, that's 30K a year that you got to pay back. And then, you know, interest on it, but around 30K um, every year. So you take 30K of that 65 cash and pay your debt for it. And then, you know, now you have $35,000 that's going directly in your pocket as is right with the company as is and then the thought right would be to improve it right and increase the flow yep. of it so so i like that idea and the the big draw is um the mailboxes that seems to be like where the money's at with these types of things is those mailboxes and it's kind of like mini storage units i think we've talked about this a little bit before um and they're real sticky too where it's like a planet fitness membership right it's 20 bucks uh, is it worth going all the way there and canceling it? I'll just leave it. It's 20 bucks. It's just one lunch for the month, right? And I'll just forget about it. So then they're just yep. always there, and then it's a lot low low touch. But market-wise, like macro, economics-wise, you know, it's a business you can pass inflation on through it, right? So it's not like a degrading marginal margin industry. Um, and then it's also leans into how virtual we all are now, right? We, you buy all your shit online, right? It's not a brick and mortar store. You're getting deliveries through it and then like returning Amazon packages through it too, right? Which fits the model of where we're all at too. So, so I really like, I like the industry. I just got to figure out how I can get it done. And then also like, if it's something that I do supplementally or, quit my job and run it and then like buy another one and try and enterprise it that way. I mean, I think you're taking, in my opinion, I think you're taking the best route, which is try to sell or finance it, keep your main job, figure out the business through this one. Cause to your point, as is it's pulling in 65 K cash flow, right? Yeah. And just like 
you can reinvest what you need to back into the company with that. And you're taking home extra money as you're paying this off and learn the ropes. And then once you learn the ropes, then maybe look to expand and buy another one and then like quit your job. Right. Yeah. But I think you have the best decision ever, which is you're already at your job making good money. And if you did buy this seller not financing, that's nothing out of your pocket. You don't even lose any purchasing power. And yeah. then you learn the ropes and you know, you've done a lot of research on this already. So you've already like delved into like the pack and chip for the most part, and you've been doing a bunch of research on it. So it's like, you already know more or less what you're getting into as well. And you already know the business model, so on and so forth. So I feel like it's a natural progression for you. It just, whether you want to pull the trigger on it and if the deal works, if you negotiate a good deal, because yeah. maybe there's the, yeah, I guess there's the biz by sell, right? Where they have the website, but you know, maybe if they want to come to different terms, maybe they want to be paid out in a year or two years, you know? Yeah, that was right. Yeah. And, and that's a tough thing. I, generally it seems to be seller financing is typically anywhere between like three and seven years, but with the small amount of money that it is too, like I would, if I was the owner, I would be like, I don't want to like sell it. Just give me the $150,000 and you know, get out of here. Type of deal. But, uh, yeah. but I'm, I'm just saying, it's, yeah. Can you hear that? Uh, sorry. Um, it seems to be like such like a buyer's market for businesses right now under a certain value because they're all baby boomers. Like all every like website that I, or every, um, company that I see that's for sale, they're always selling because they're retired. Right. And you've, I've sent you those statistics before that I see, right. It's, there's so many people. Yeah. Cody Sanchez talks about it all the time too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I love her. She's great. And that's, she's the one who turned me on to the pack and ship. She has a, there's like another influencer of like a friend of hers, which bugs me that I don't remember her name, but she's out in Las Vegas and she's got a bunch of different companies, but she started a pack and chip. Like she went to one of the ones that was local that she had been going to and was like, Hey, I'll give you 10 K if you let me intern for you for two weeks, like, cause I want to open up one of these in a different area that won't be competition for you, but I need to learn it. So she did that and then opened one up, opened two up. Um, and then got the role in that way, and she like fucking kills it. She does like five hundred thousand dollars each Damn. in revenue. Damn. So the other one that I found in Pennsylvania, there's one in Pennsylvania that I just signed an NDA about. Um, but their posted revenue is eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars at a one at a one pop and strip store, and they're. And, and I did research too for like UPSs and such. So it seems like UPSs should be cash flowing at like a, um, I think they said it like a 40% margin rate. So like your cash flow that they are saying like profit and profit isn't the same thing as cash flow, but yep. based on just looking at the what's available information wise, I can't see the profit of it. So I'm just running with cash flow. But anyway, so like I, I um, a UPS does like 44% cash flow versus revenue, right? So like profit, uh, I guess, revenue, net profit, um, which is a huge margin, realistically. It's pretty pretty dang good. Um, yeah. The only thing that I feel like would suck about the UPS store, though, is you have to pay like a franchise fee. No, so that's my point is so like those do like 44% margin with their franchise fee and all that. Um, with it. Yeah. And then that compared to this Pennsylvania one that's doing 850k logic says that it should be doing $450,000 in cash flow they're not they're only doing $130,000 in cash flow so what are their costs right like why are they doing why are their costs so much higher than what a standard model UPS is or this other one in New Jersey that has more similar to the UPS right they're doing 200 in revenue and they're taking home 160 or whatever it is, or not 165 in cash flow. I'm like, okay, that's kind of closer to that 40% margin, right? That makes more sense. Why is it this one doing that? You so, know what it is? Those smaller, like uh, non UPS ones or non FedEx ones, you right. probably have to pay like a fee for UPS to include that in the route. Yeah. You probably have to pay those shipping cool. companies. You do well, you get paid by the shipping companies, so that's how it works. You get, and the, most of the money isn't actually in the parcel and like, like the actual shipping, but you get, um, 
So the three major providers, right, is USPS, and this is in order of money you make as a pack and ship, at the lowest to highest. USPS, you get like nothing. Uh, UPS, you get like 50 cents or something like that per pickup. And then FedEx, you get like a dollar per pickup. So those companies pay you that whenever you have a package mm. to pick up. So even if it's like not something you packed, it's just, hey, I have an Amazon. And then like there's an Amazon pickup aspect of it too, which I have to figure out that and how you become a partner for them. Um, I heard that's a little bit harder. But, you know, hey, I got a package that I need to ship. I already printed out the label. I already packed it up. I did everything. I just need to ship it. You drop it off that and I want to send it UPS. That's where you get the 50 cents. Um, if you, if somebody brings an item and say, Hey, I need to pack this up and ship it for UPS. Well, then you get margin on the box, the actual printer, the actual printed label of it. And then the, the drop off pickup, uh, by UPS too. Right. So like you get multiple aspects there. Um, yeah. I think to your point though, I feel like, you know, most of the profit really comes from the PO boxes that it you is. have yeah. on site. Right. It totally so is. it's just. How, how can you market it and convince people that they need a PO? Yeah. So like the, the Las Vegas had a good perspective on it or a good offering because to set up companies in a state that you don't reside in, you need to have a registered agent. And I do this in mm-hmm. North Carolina for my business. Um, yep. And you can hire a registered agent, but then you also need an address too. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can get a PO box from USPS but it says PO box on it, right? Which if you were getting, you know, an involvement with anything that had a PO box, you'd kind of think, oh, this is a little shady, right? You give you a little bit bad, bad vibes on it. By getting one of these mailboxes, you don't get that. You get a street address. You get, you know, mm. 101 Pennsylvania Avenue, unit 350B. Yeah. Which is like yeah. more mailbox but it's a store as well. Like it's an actual street address. So that's like a big sale of it. Now Vegas has preferential um, business or, or not Vegas, Nevada has preferential, um, you know, business laws, which is why a lot of people set up companies in Nevada. Now do people set up companies out of state in PA and New Jersey? No, not really. Right. So I'm like, all right, well, maybe that would be a detractor or a limiting factor for getting people to sign up for the PO boxes or, or, you know, the mailboxes. But the big sale that I thought of or the big selling point was, especially in this area, like around Philly and stuff, I see videos all the time of people getting their shit stolen, right? You get mm. a delivery, get stolen right off your stoop all the mm. time. And the high crime in the area. Okay. Interesting. So the sale, the, the marketing would be, are you getting your packages stolen? Why do you get a $20 mailbox and we'll hold your packages for free and you can just come pick them up whenever you want. Right. And then it's under, you know, key or, you know, lock and key type of deal. Right. So now you have security around it. So I'm like, Oh, well maybe that's the, the, you know, uh, what do you want to call it? Market difference. Yeah, selling point. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The value prop. Hmm. Interesting. I actually like that. I mean, the hard part's just going to be, yeah, getting number one, letting people know that that exists, and then number two, getting people in the door. I mean, I think the best way to do it is just convenience. How can you make it as streamlined and easy as possible for them to sign up for one of those boxes? Yeah. Right. Because if it takes them, they need to come in and fill out like twenty documents, this and that, just like slim chance but if you can somehow have it so that they like have to do two things or you i think the bigger thing which i there's someone on the same line i'm going to change topics just a tiny bit but i had some guy here they were trying to sell like roots and he was trying to get me to sign up for like uh them to come out inspect my roof and give me a quote on my roof and do measurements and stuff and i was basically because they were like it it was actually a good deal because they were like yeah we'll come out and we'll do the um I don't want to say quote estimate. They'll do yes. the estimate for free. Yeah. And then they're like, you can hold on to that estimate. It's good for a year. So if you want to call us back in a year and use that estimate, like, you know, you can do that. I'm like, actually, that's a pretty good idea. Cause I'd love to know what you guys think that the cost of the roof would be. Yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. Signed up. So then I go back in and I'm talking to my wife and she's like, you know, Oh, how, how long is it going to be? And I'm like, 
fuck. I agreed to this. They're coming at one o'clock tomorrow. But I'm like, what if they take fucking three hours? It's like, oh, I'm not doing that. You know what I mean? So I call him up. I'm like, hey, guy. I was just like, appreciate you coming out. I was just like, how long is this going to be? And he's just like, oh, you know, like we need both of you there. Like, and, you know, it's, it takes about an hour and a half. And I'm like, is there any way you can chop that down to 30 minutes? He's like, no, we have our standard process. And I'm like, no, thanks. Cancel it. And he's just like, sorry to see where you go. And I'm like, dude, oh. what? here's what they should have done. Bad sales. They should have. What's up? Bad salesman to be like, right when you say no to, like, okay, and then take that and let you go. But sorry, go ahead. Well, also, also, yes, but I'm crunching this story a little bit. But I just yeah. remember thinking, I'm like, you know what really would have sold me? If they came out, did all the measurements and did everything before I even like was home. And then came up and was just like, hey, we did this. This is your estimate. Like, if you want to talk, let us know what you think. Yeah. And I feel like doing that little bit of extra work, which lets me perfectly honest to do an estimate on my house. Granted, some houses might be different, right? Or might be like private properties. But I'm like, if you could do that work for the people before you make that sale, I think it just goes a long way. And yeah. they weren't willing to do that. Like, if they had come and done an estimate on my house, I would have been like, yeah, dude, come over. Like, let's talk through it. But no, they were trying to take my time, like an hour and a half of my time. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> oh, man, you could, they could have done that so much better. They could have been like, I know. both of you don't need to be there. Nobody needs to be there as long as you sign well, the waiver type of deal. What's the thing is they footage of your house. If you give me that, I can give you like a rough estimate right now. Uh, but it'll be they, not binding until we show up, blah, blah, blah. Like all that shit. Like there's so many different ways they could have handled it. Well, Alex Ramosi talks about it where it's just like he'll be getting people come into the gym and they're not the person in power who makes the decision. Yeah. It's the other person at home. So I thought it was a pretty smart move on their part. Like, all right, let's get both people there so that the oh, one yeah. who's making the decision is also there. And I'm not talking to someone who's bullshitting me. Yeah. Now I get why they wanted to do that. But like once they realized they couldn't do that, that shouldn't have been their disqualifier. You know what I mean? Yeah. My yeah. mind, at least. Yeah. But yeah, yeah interesting. Interesting. I mean, yeah, it's, that's why I want to buy it's, a business. I feel like there's like so many lessons that you yeah, can only learn by doing it. There's so many dumb people who own businesses and are mildly successful, right? Moder moderately successful. And it's probably narcissism, but I'm like, you know, I could do it better than them. Like, you know, if you, if they did a lot and then I respect whoever it is putting in all the hard work of building it. Um, but if I could just steal that, right. You know, pay for that hard work and then jump in and then improve or innovate. I feel like that's like the sweet spot. Like that's like where my sweet spot would be. So I just, that, that's what gets yeah, me. No, my, my problem right now, and much the similar problem, right, is I feel like you need to be calculated in some respect because if there's some argument that if it's cash flowing good, then it would be worth it. But even if it was cash flowing good and you go into something that, I, don't, I say passionate loosely, but like you're not even interested in, but you just take it just because the cash flow is good. It's just like, wouldn't you rather do something that you somewhat enjoy doing? Now, granted, running the business and the whole business aspect could be something that you like doing. Yeah. But I feel like for me, it's like, I don't want to dive into something that I have an inkling of interest in just because it's really good money. Like I want to be somewhat interested in that topic and then also enjoy the business part of it. Right. So, the, the trickier part is, is like, you're never going to fully love everything that you do. You know, that's always the crux that I'll ever, like a lot of people yeah. say, but it's like, you need to be somewhat interested in it. Yeah. Alex, I know we've talked about Alex Ramosi a lot today, but uh, he has. Thank like, you, Alex. Yeah. If you ever listen to this podcast <laughs> in 20 years from now. <laughs> yeah. um, he's like, nobody's passionate about their work. You find passion. You're passionate about things that you're good at. Right. And so you do the thing until you're good at it. And then you find the passion at that point, which I've, I've grappled with that idea, right? Cause there's some things that I'm passionate about that I'm not necessarily great at, but I guess I'm not bad, but I guess I'm not bad at them either. Right. I don't know. Yeah, it's tricky. I just don't, what scares me, and this is probably why a lot of people don't buy businesses is you get it and you end up hating it. But to that point, you don't know until you do it. So you kind of just have to do it. Yeah. Well, that's just what kind of investment. No, it's hard. Do, right. Like, you know, are you, are you doing things for money and success and what you can do with that? 
or like the challenge of it, right? Like the challenge of running a business or you actually like the business itself, right? You, you're just fucking got a hard on for shipping shit and you want to be around a bunch of cardboard, you know, and like, that's just what you like. Oh yeah, baby. Yeah. Oh, that, <laughs> is that double plot corrugate? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I just love it. Man. What I'm passionate about is like the passive, the passivity, passivity. I don't know. The passiveness, I guess, of, uh, owning a business and having somebody else run it. I just love that. Yeah. I mean, my thing and, you know, a little bit off track, but like the reason why I'm just so turned off by that other company I was looking into buying was just like being able, like getting it and then not being able to make the decisions, but you still have all of the risk. And like, that's just one thing that just like is killing me on that deal is just, I think it's a great opportunity, but if you can't get in there and start making changes right away and improving on it, it just, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know if it's worth the time, energy and or hassle. Cause it's yeah. like, am I, am I interested and passionate about construction? Kind of not really. Hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like, is it a good fit? I'd rather something I'm a little bit more. Now recently I've been very passionate about like business and learning all the aspects of business and sales and marketing and operations and things like that. But I don't know, just jumping into something that I, and like I do have some background in it. Cause I told you, I, I used to work construction back in the day, Yeah, but it's just like, I don't care for it at all. <laughs> so I don't know if it's necessarily a good fit, which is why I've kind of been like turning away from it. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. I, mean, I can talk about structuring the deal so that it considers the risk and all that kind of stuff. But, but I get, I get your point right about it. It's tough though. Cause you only have access to what you have access to. Right. Like you might be super passionate about computers, right? Or you know, coding or some shit, right? Some something, but if you don't have any access to buying a computer manufacturing company or manufacturing semiconductors, right, in Taiwan, you know, if you don't have any access to any of that, then it's then it's pointless, right? It's, so yeah, it's tough. It's like making the best decisions with what you can make decisions on, type of deal. Well, I mean, that this is a good segue into what I'm trying to do right now with unrelenting pressure yeah. <laughs> is like, I don't get any return on this investment. It costs me, it costs me money and I don't have any following or anything, but it's just something I feel like I need to do. And I think it's fun and I'm passionate about doing it because like, it's my idea that I've created from scratch from yeah. nothing and like trying to lead it and will it into existence is exhilarating. Yeah. And I feel like I don't know if, and to that point, like we were talking about earlier, like, I don't know if it's going to work, but I'd rather, I'd rather give this my all and try to see if I can take this somewhere. And if it doesn't, I can at least look back and go like, I tried, like I tried, I did it really hard. I did it for five years. It didn't work out. It's okay. At least I know that I tried to like make this happen. And the, st- the stack was, deck was stacked. Oh my God. The deck I was stacked against you. Talk. Excuse me. <laughs> the deck was stacked against me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I'd rather go through because it's like, you know, I feel like a lot of people talk about it, but just like, I'd rather look back in 15 years and go like, I tried it and it just, it didn't work, but at least I tried. Yeah. And that's, I could say more than most people with that at least. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Trying is like, you know what I mean? Trying is 95% better than, or it's better than 95% of what people are doing. Right. Would you see that, uh, I, I think that Instagram thing the other day, I think I took a picture and sent it to you, but it was, uh, from Alex Ramosi. He was just like, <laughs> to be at nine or to be in the top, like, like 5% of podcasters. He was oh, just yeah. like, he was like 90% only make one episode. And then yeah. it was like 5% only make nine episodes. And then the top 1% make more than 20 plus episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, that's literally just like, keep the ball rolling. Just yeah. keep doing it longer. You keep getting better at it, right? You keep having these ideas uh, and you keep growing. And I think that's the bigger thing. And, you know, I, man, I feel like it's embarrassing to say, but I've been at this for like a year at this point, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Still don't have anything to show for it. Never will, but. <laughs> you have to go for it. It's just not, it's not yeah, it's there yet. You got a website, yeah. you got people who have visited it before. You got a lot more uh, social presence than you did a year ago, right? It's movement. It's just not as far as 
what success looks like in your mind yet, right? Yeah, I mean that's true. I suppose it's something, but it's just something. I feel like I feel like I need to do it. I feel like it needs to be done, and this is what I want to do: is help people. And if I can help people through this channel or through some means of it, like that's what I'd rather do. Yeah, and that's what I want to do. So if I can make that happen, heck yeah, people, come and help me. Even though I know you're not watching this. <laughs> If you made it through, and if you made it through an hour and four minutes to hear me say that, then thank you so much for listening to this. You're awesome. And you're gonna win a t-shirt in the mail. Oh yeah, I'll send you five free t-shirts. But I highly doubt anyone's gonna listen to it for an hour and five minutes, unless maybe this channel explodes out of nowhere and in five years people are listening to this <laughs> humble beginning episode. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> but, uh, all right, I think this is a good spot to stop and uh, go our separate ways. But thank you, buddy. I appreciate this conversation. It's always good to get with you and catch up. So yeah, you until the next one. Absolutely. See you, buddy.